Well, we are uh, coming down uh, the home stretch in our uh, study of the uh, New Testament book of Philippians, where the last chapter, chi- uh, chapter 4, uh, evolves around a sevenfold exhortation for the church to stand firm in the Lord, to stand firm in the face of opposition, and to continue to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how are they to stand firm? Well, we've already seen the first uh, four ways. First, through harmony in the church. A second, through joy in the Lord. A third, through graciousness towards others, especially those who oppose us. And then fourth, as we saw last week, through God's peace in prayer, which is the God's antidote uh, to worry. And today we come to the fifth way to stand firm in the Lord, which is to stand firm through right thinking. Right thinking, which is going to be the focus of verses 8 and 9 of Philippians 4. But I want us to begin by just sort of laying a foundation for this message, by looking at the danger of letting my thought life go unchecked. Uh, So I hope you picked up a copy of your sermon notes and uh, the, the first thing I want to emphasize is that when I'm talking about sinful thoughts, and this is very, very important, when I'm talking about sinful thoughts, uh, I'm not talking about sim- sinful thoughts just popping into your mind. You know, that, that's going to happen to all of us. What I'm focusing on this morning is how do you respond to that? Uh, do you allow your mind uh, to dwell on those uh, sinful or negative thoughts, whatever they might be. And I also want to be very, very clear that we're not just talking about fantasizing on impure sexual thoughts. Uh, I'm also talking about anxious thoughts, worry, where your focus is on the size of the problem uh, rather than the size of God. We're talking about angry thoughts, Uh, where your focus is getting even with somebody rather than sharing Christ's love. We're talking about selfish thoughts, where your focus is promoting your own interest rather than the interest of others. We're talking about bitter thoughts, where your focus is on nursing a grudge rather than extending forgiveness to your offender. We're talking about unbelieving thoughts, where your focus is on doubt and despair rather than believing that in this circumstance, as difficult as it may be, God is on the throne, He's in control, and yes, even in this, He can cause all things to work for my good and His greater glory. So again, follow in your sermon notes and notice what happens when we let sinful thoughts go unchecked in our mind. First, sinful thoughts desensitize the warning system of my conscience. Sinful thoughts desensitize the warning system of my conscience. Now, what is your conscience? Uh, Let's keep this very, very simple. Conscience is simply that inner voice that warns you of sin and encourages you to do what is right. Now, think about this. Your conscience is your only line of defense against sinful thoughts. Now, why do I say that? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 in your sermon notes. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. 
In other words, no other person knows your thoughts but who? You, yourself. Your thoughts are your secret. Sadly, many Christians who appear very righteous let their thought life go unchecked. They often entertain sinful thoughts or attitudes which are a thousand times worse than anything they would ever say or do in front of others. They think they are safe because no one knows. But when you let sinful thoughts go unchecked, those sinful thoughts molest the purity of your conscience. See, you deceive yourself thinking because everything looks well on the outside, all is okay. But believe me, it is not all well. The constant molestation of the conscience by sinful thoughts, whether that would begin be anger, worry, selfishness, lust, whatever it might be, those thoughts break, breaks down the warning system God gave you, that warning system of the conscience to protect you against sin. And the more you fail to heed that warning system, then it just simply becomes easier and easier to let those thoughts run wild. And sooner or later, those sinful thoughts will lead to sinful speech and actions. Look at James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, which is very clear about this. It says, temptation comes from our own what? Desires. You could say from our own thoughts, which entice us and drag us away. These desires or these thoughts give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to sin. Look at First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. This is the inevitable consequence of letting s- sinful thoughts go unchecked. Notice, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience, encircle that word, clear. For some people, notice, have deliberately violated their consciences. They did not heed that warning system that God gave them. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. And this happens to Christians over and over and over again. I've shared many times from this pulpit, I have never known any believer to come to know any real measure of victory in their Christian life until they got serious about doing battle in the mind and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ through the grace and the empowerment of God. Look at the second truth about the consequence of letting sinful thoughts go unchecked. They not only desensitize that that warning system of the conscience, but sinful thoughts also desecrate the worship sanctuary of my heart. Sinful thoughts desecrate the worship center or the sanctuary of my heart. What is the greatest of all the commandments? Would Jesus answer that in Mark chapter 12, verse 30? He was asked that question, and here was his answer. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The epitome of sin is what? It's lack of love for God. 
That's the epitome of sin. That's the heart of sin. It's lack of love for God. It's valuing anything or anyone more than God. As Christians, our hearts literally have become God's sanctuary. It is in our heart and in our minds where the highest and best worship of God is to take place. To let sinful thoughts go unchecked is to defile God's sanctuary. And this is why David wrote, and this verse is not in your notes, but this is why David wrote in Psalm 51 verse 6, Behold, thou dost desire truth where? In the innermost being. And in the hidden part that will make me know wisdom. You know, the greatest, listen now, the greatest renunciation Christ ever gave was to religious people who looked good on the outside but let sin go unchecked on the inside. Look at Matthew, here it is. Look at Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 and 27. This is what he said to the Pharisees, religious teachers who knew the Word of God inside and out. They could quote it for you. But they never brought that to bear upon their thought life, upon their inner life, which went unchecked. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. To let sinful thoughts go unchecked. And again, whether it's worry, anger, selfishness, unbelief, or lust, is to desecrate the worship center of your heart. Look at the third consequence when you let sinful thoughts go unchecked. Sinful thoughts also defile the wellspring of my character. They not only desensitize that warning system of the conscience, not only desecrate that innermost sanctuary of my heart where I'm to worship God, but it also defiles the wellspring of my character. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart. You could also say that includes your mind with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Now listen, beloved, listen very, very carefully. The true gauge of a person's character is not the public behavior that you see. But the private war that is fought and won on the inside of their mind. Look at Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks within himself, so he, what? Is. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. And that is how God sees you and me. As David said, God desires truth on the innermost being, in the innermost being. 
Look carefully at the next statement in your notes. All sin is incubated in the mind. All sin, all sin, without exception, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Now, the heart of the message, and uh, celebrating the Lord's communion, so uh, we'll move quickly, uh, but that's okay. What I'm giving you right now is a sort of a worksheet. Here's your... uh, Here's your homework assignment. And let me just add right here, how to maintain a, a pure thought life is what we're going to... How, how do we maintain a pure thought life? I have known Christ close to 46 years. And if you were to ask me, Andy, if you had the opportunity to share with a fellow believer just one practical truth that's meant the most in your life, what would it be? It would be this right here. I've had nothing that has been so impactful on my life as a believer, on my walk with God, than the truth I'm going to share with you right now. I'm talking from a practical perspective in terms of getting in the Word of God and letting it captivate and control. And again, when I say that, I'm not trying to say I've always been been successful, but I can honestly say I'm in the war. I'm in the fight. Uh, Many, many years ago, I determined I would not let my thought life go unchecked. I would do everything that I could by God's grace to nip it in the bud. And we'll look at how to do that. Okay, let's, let's walk through this. Let's walk this. First, what's the first step? Well, first, confess sinful thoughts to God. Confess sinful thoughts to God. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So that's where I have to begin. I have to begin to see things as God sees them. As a man thinks, so is he. That's how God sees me. It's not what I demonstrate to others in my outward life, but what does God see inwardly? And so as I struggle with things like anxiety and worry, as I struggle with anger, uh, unbelief, selfishness, lust. I can't excuse that. I can't minimize that, that this is just some little small deficiency or weakness. I have to call it what it is. It's sin. And it's sin. And it's reaping havoc in my life. And if I don't deal with this, it's going to destroy my life. But of course, look at the wonderful power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse. Look at Hebrews 9 verse 14. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify your what? Your consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice. So again, as we celebrate communion this morning, as we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus died for our sinful thought life. And we have the wonderful privilege to avail ourselves of His mercy as we confess and as we look to Him for mercy. And then look at the second step. Refuse to dwell or linger on sinful thoughts. Look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Refuse to dwell or linger on sinful thoughts. So put to death 
the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. In other words, you have to nip it in the bud. Now, how do you do that? The next two points are very, very important. Number three, avoid exposure to things that provoke sinful thoughts. In other words, if I'm going to know victory in this area, I'm going to have to get serious about what I expose myself to, what my eyes watch, what my ears hear, what my eyes read. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. Look straight ahead. And fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. So if I'm going to clean up my thought life by God's grace, I'm going to have to cooperate with Him by making a decision not to willfully, not to deliberately. I know living in this world, we cannot escape temptation. But I don't want to deliberately, I don't want to intentionally begin to watch things, hear things, listen to things that I know is going to drag me down, know is going to put thoughts in my mind and in my heart that are not going to be healthy for me. And then look at four, very important. And here's where we come to our Philippians passage. I have to turn my thoughts to things that are honorable, right, and pure. And this brings us, as I mentioned, to our Philippians passage. Look at verse 8 of Philippians 4, fix, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, folks, look at that next statement in your notes. Here's reality, and this is why God holds you and I accountable for our thought life, for our attitudes. I cannot think on two things at the same time. It's an impossibility. God has created us in such a way, you can't do that. You literally can't do that as a human being. So the choice is mine. Again, remember what I said at the beginning of the message? I'm not not so much talking about just sinful thoughts popping into your mind. That happens to all of us. It happens to me all of the time. I mean, angry thoughts, anxious thoughts, lust, selfishness. Yes, we're tempted And yes, it's going to pop in there. The issue is, when that happens, what's your response? You know, do I allow myself to dwell on it? To focus on it? To let those thoughts just go unchecked and run wild? Or, as a believer, do I recognize how unhealthy this is? So I nip it in the bud immediately, say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to refuse to dwell on that. I'm not going to let these selfish or these anxious or these lust, whatever they might be, just run unchecked in my mind. I'm going right now to turn my thoughts to that which is true and honorable and right and pure and, and lovely. Now, how do you do that? And this, this next point five has been the most important practical truth I've practiced in my entire Christian life. That's made more difference than anything else in my Christian life. And here it is. Five. I have to meditate on God's thoughts. I have to meditate on God's thoughts. And what we're going to look at right now as we, we close this out and make the transition to communion. There are three different Hebrew words in the Old Testament 
that are all translated meditate in our English Bibles. And we need to see the distinct difference between these three words because it gives us a clear pattern of how to get in the Word of God and let that Word of God, by God's grace and the power of the Spirit within you, change and transform your life. In other words, as I get in the Word of God, the Spirit of God dwells within me. I'm giving the the Spirit of God a sword to use in my life to bring change, to bring transformation. So look at the very first word. The first has to do with memorizing God's Word. Uh, And I do want you to look at these references. Look at Psalm 1, chapter 1, verse 2 in your Bible. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. This is the first Hebrew word for meditate. Uh, as you see there in your notes, in the Hebrew, it's the word Hagah. Hagah. And that verse reads, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates, or he Hagahs, day and night. Now, that word literally means, literally means a pleasant murmuring or a repetitive, and that's the key word, a repetitive pondering on the Scripture. Uh, the, the word, this word was used to refer to a cow chewing its cud. And you know how a cow chews its cud. The cow repeatedly what brings the food back up to chew, it, chew on it some more. And, and I'm to re- repeat Scripture over and over in my mind. And as I do, it's, it's, and you know, I wouldn't even... So much say, you, you know, your, your goal and your focus is memorization. I mean, that's naturally going to happen as you go through this process. But in other words, what I've learned over the years, here I'm attacked by sinful thoughts. On this occasion, it might be I'm, I'm, eating up, I'm beginning to get eaten up with anxiety. Or maybe it's despair and despondency or just maybe purity, selfishness. You know, I'm, I'm, I may be mad about something. It may be the issue of, of, of lust, and I'm tempted. And what I'm trying to say is I've learned the first thing you have to do, I have to make a decision. I love Jesus. I desire to follow Him, and He loves me. And my heart, my mind is His sanctuary. So I want to nip it in the bud quickly by realizing I can't think on two things at the same time. So I have a choice in this matter. And I say, no, I'm not going to dwell on that. And what I do, I go to the Scripture. I go to the Scripture. And what I like to do if I'm struggling with anxiety, I'll select Scripture that deals with anxiety and worry and how to find God's peace. And if it's selfish, in other words, I, I try to find Scripture that relates to that area of struggle. And so I begin then just going to that. And, and a lot of times you might uh, put it on a, a three-by-five card where you keep it on you all the time. I mean, some of these issues, and you've all experienced them like uh, anxiety or, or anger or whatever. I mean, the, the, the war can be intense. The battle can be fierce. So, I, you know, I, I just try to, you know, if I haven't memorized it where I can just, just immediately go to it in my mind, I'll, you know, I might want to pull that card out. Or maybe a little Bible that I have on me and, 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 and go to battle and just begin reflecting on that. So that, that, that's where, where it begins. And, and what you'll find is you'll begin then putting that Word of God in your heart. It'll become a, a part of you. 
you know, you'll begin to memorize the Word of God. Even if you don't have it word for word, the thoughts and the concepts and the principles and the truth are there that you can draw upon in times of temptation. But then that takes us to the second word that's translated meditate in the Hebrew Scriptures. We're to personalize God's words. Not, not, it's, meditation is not just pondering God's Word. It's not just observing it. It's not just memorizing. I have to personalize God's Word. Look at Psalm 119, verses 47 to 48. This is the second word. This word is shikah in the, or siyah in the Hebrew text. Uh, verses 47, 48, and 49 of Psalm 119. And I shall delight in thy commandments, which I love, and I shall lift up my hands to thy commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on thy statutes. Siach, I will meditate. That word, that Hebrew word, literally means a deep devotion that leads to quiet reflection. In other words, I'm t- to take that scripture I've been pondering on, I've been uh, that repetitive pondering, I've been uh, instilling it in my heart, memorizing it, and I, now I'm to personalize it. I'm to put it in the first person, in other words. And that enables me to see the changes that need to be made in my life that will draw me to God in prayer, to depend upon Him, to do a miraculous work from the inside out. It leads me to steps of obedience. So now as I personalize, look at all the, that, that. This is not an exhaustive list. I'm just giving you an example of some of the things I might ask uh, as I do this second step in this process of meditation. You know, as I'm pondering this particular verse or this passage, is there a sin here for me to confess? Is there a truth for me to believe, to put my confidence in God? Is there a command to obey, to step out in faith, knowing that He's given me all things that pertain to life and godliness? And so I step out trusting. Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there an attitude for me to change here? Is there an example to follow? Is there an error to avoid? Is there something to thank God for? Is there something I learn about God's character and God's plans and God's purposes That would draw my heart to even love Him more as I see His greatness, as I see His glory, as I see His beauty, as I see His his love. So that's what meditating on Scripture is. I begin with that repetitive pondering, just murmuring over and over. Again, here I'm attacked, whatever it might be, anxiety, selfishness, anger, whatever it might be, lust. I say, I can't think on two things at the same time, so I I love God, I desire to obey Him, I'm nipping in the bud, so I'm going to willfully, deliberately go to the Scripture. And then I begin pondering over that. And then as I ponder over that, this second step, I begin to personalize it. What are the implications for my life? How does this, what are the implications of this scripture, what I'm looking at in my relationship with Kathy, in my relationship with my children, in my relationship with my church family, in my responsibility, in in all those areas. You just begin, begin to reflect on that. And you begin to see its application. But you still haven't finished meditation right there. There's a a third and final step. And you see that there in your notes. I'm to actualize God's Word. In other words, it's got to become a reality in my life as I step out and obey. To trust God. 
believing that he is that power at work in my life. And as I cooperate with him, he will bring transformation. Psalm 19 is that third word. Psalm 19, very familiar psalm, beautiful psalm about the Word of God. But uh, verse 14 reads, the very last verse of the psalm, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation, there's that third word, meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, the word for meditation in the Hebrew text is higion, higion. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating word. You know what it, it literally means? It literally means a musical repetition of God's Word. Andy will love that. A musical repetition of God's Word. But the thing that it's emphasizing is I haven't completed the process of meditation until it brings me to the point of worship. That's the point. That's the truth. I haven't completed the process of meditation till it brings me to worship God. Where I turn my heart to God. I turn my heart to His amazing grace that Andy sung about. His power, His riches, His glory. Realizing, uh, what? I could do nothing apart from Him. But through Christ, I can do all things. That the key is my dependency and my trust in Him. As Andy spoke earlier, what? His power is perfected in our what? In our, in our weakness. In our weakness. So notice, where does meditation begin? It begins with that repetitive pondering. Just going over and over and over the Scripture. Dwelling on it. Getting that inside me. And then move from there to, okay, personal. What does this mean to me? How does this relate to me? What difference should this make in my life, in my walk with God, in my faith, in my relationships with, with others? But then I have to go to that third step of now worshiping God by what? Trusting Him and obeying Him. That's the point. I actualize it. Look at, the, look at the, this other verse from the uh, book of Philippians. Uh, keep putting into practice. Work with that word practice. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So again, I haven't completed the process of meditation to what? I practice God's word by relying on God's grace. And then I just thought you would love Isaiah 26.3. Notice what happens. Notice, you know, we looked at the consequence of letting sinful thoughts run wild, how it desensitizes your conscience, desecrates the sanctuary of your mind, defiles your character. But notice the consequence of this process. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Amen? Amen. So again, folks, this is something to be practiced to be lived out. This doesn't happen just because you want it to happen and you have good intentions. You have to be deliberate. You have to be intentional. You have to, be, you have to act on it. But I guarantee, because I've experienced it in my life, you put this into practice. I can, in other words, I can honestly say to you, if you put this into practice, what I've just taught you, what you've received, everything you've just heard from me, 
and I trust you've seen me live out, then the God of peace will be with you. Like the God of peace has been with me. Again, not that I'm perfect. It's been in more failures than successes. But I've learned in that to turn my heart to Him. As we make the transition to the Lord's table, uh, let me once again draw our attention to Philippians 4.8, where he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind or your thoughts dwell on these things. Let me ask you, is Jesus Christ true? Is Jesus Christ honorable? Is Jesus Christ pure? Is Jesus Christ lovely? Is Jesus Christ of good reputation? Is Jesus Christ excellent? Above all others, worthy of all praise? Well, that's why we come to the Lord's table. To fix our thoughts on Him. To worship Him. And it is worship. And I'll just leave you with two other verses put this all together for you, because this is true worship. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, speaking to believers, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, to present your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, all that you are, that you possess. Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, you say, Oh, Andy, and my struggle and my failures, how, how can I make it a wholly acceptable sacrifice? Well, you can't, but through Christ's work, it is. It is. Uh, I, I wish we had time, but in the Old Testament Scripture, it talks about the altar that was a symbol of what? The cross in the future. And it talked about how that altar would be sac- sanctified by the blood of the sacrifices. And then God makes this statement. It says, whosoever touches the altar that's been sanctified by the blood shall be declared holy, shall be declared justified. So I come to God, I come to my altar, the cross, that was sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ as a believer, and I lay my life there. And as I touch that cross, as I embrace that cross, God says what? You're holy, Andy. You're justified. That's, how you, that's, that's the only way I can lay that sacrifice down. But, but then notice, the passage goes on. It says, all of this is your reasonable act of spiritual, you know what it says? Worship. And then you know how it reads? Okay. Here's how you worship. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into the way this world thinks, into this world's values, into this world's perspectives, but be transformed, changed. How? How? Through what? You know it. Through what? The renewal of your mind and prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How are you transformed through the renewal of your mind? The process we just talked about, that process of meditation. 
of that repetitive pondering of Scripture, personalizing that, and then worshiping the author of Scripture by stepping out in faith and obeying Him. And he says, as we step out in faith to obey Him, His power is released in our lives, and He does for us what we could never do, and He changes and transforms us from the inside out. And only He can do that. Amen? Amen. So we come to the table, and we come to worship Jesus and to give Him our lives. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we know on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, we're told that He took the bread and broke it and said, this bread represents my body that would be given for you. And so, Lord, as we come to the Lord's table, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for His sacrifice on Calvary's cross. We thank You as we studied in Philippians 2, that although He existed in the very form of God, He did not consider equality with God a thing to selfishly grasp. But He took His deity and He literally didn't lose it, but He emptied it into human flesh. And He emptied it into human flesh that He could take upon Himself the form of a slave. And being made as the slave, the servant of men, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So thank you. Thank you for that sacrifice. And then we're told after the supper he took the blood or he took the cup representing the blood that would be shed for the remission of our sins. And Lord, we thank you as we even read earlier from Hebrews 9 that that blood even has the power to cleanse our inner conscience that we would be set free to worship you, the living, all-powerful God. And so, Lord, it is through your sacrifice and through the blood that we come now to worship, to remember our Savior, our Lord, to remember what He accomplished on our behalf. When He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might be declared the righteousness of God in Him. So, Lord, we thank You for such love. Give us grace to honor You. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.